everyone. Uh, thanks for coming out to listen to me chat to Elijah. It's my absolute pleasure. Um, my name's Kieran Yates. I'm a journalist and I've kind of been following Elijah's work as a kind of friend and fan and sometime collaborator for the last 10 years. And so I guess dependent on at what stage you've met Elijah, you might have a sort of different idea of what the focus of his work is, but I certainly think of you as DJ, label head, Kano Lyric, writer, <laughs> arts organizer, <laughs> arts organizer, lecturer, like, you know, sort of somebody who is really passionate about promoting DIY strategies for a, a changing, uh, a changing musical landscape and a kind of a future world. So how, how do you think about yourself? Um, today, like all of those things are a bit mixed. Um, start like, The foundational thing is DJing and writing, but I guess my like day job is like artist management, so managing uh, DJ Q, Flavor D and Swindle. Um, and I guess the public facing bit of that is our label buzz that we do together with Skillium. And um, now I guess why I'm here is um, I'm guest editing Resident Advisor this month, and it's based on um, ideas that I share every Monday to Thursday on Instagram. So um, it's just like a project I call The Daily. So I just write these like, yellow notes, ideas about music industry, arts, cultural production, um, random other things that come into my head. Uh, drinking water, <laughs> staying, uh, staying healthy in this thing, yeah. So your Instagram, that I'm sure you guys have seen it, is kind of the yellow and black squares, uh, kind of ideas, kind of like reimaginings of kind of life, which can be applied to sort of music and wider. How did you go from that sort of DIY Instagram to a resident advisor reaching out and guest editing? Yeah, so um, I did a thread, um, if I was a guest editor uh, on an electronic music website <laughs> or something like that, or electronic music magazine, these are the articles that I would do. That was last May. And um, it wasn't for me to do it, it was just for someone else to do it, just because these are articles I'd be interested in. Um, and uh, Whitney from RA reached out and I was like, yeah, cool, let's just do the articles that I already put out there as ideas. Mm -hmm. um, and they've like kind of taken it, developed it with different writers, um, photographers, um, amazing artists and stuff. So um, it's like a, just a realization of those things that I've been putting out on Twitter and Instagram. Um, and kind of, uh, and what was it? Was it like they were ideas that you think should, like you should have read already or? Yeah, so um, a lot of it is about money, to be honest, like inflation's happening, but we usually when we're hearing about inflation, it's through the news and it's like gas bills and um, energy prices and the price of oil, but it's reflected in our fees, what it costs to come here, transport, the cost to book artists, like our own living costs, and it doesn't really get discussed in our kind of artist communities. And maybe talking about money generally is a bit ugly in um, art and art related kind of things. So um, I've always tried to poke the box with that and be transparent where it's practical to do so. Um, today we released an article called Balance Sheet, um, which is looking at the price of or what people spend putting on a club night. Most people wouldn't know, say like if you're an upcoming DJ, they're like, oh, I want a thousand pound to play, but <laughs> in these in the spaces and um, kind of clubs that we're running, like how much it is to cost, most people just don't know. Most people don't know how much it costs to hire a venue to open the doors, like how much bar staff get, what you need for security, like insurance, 
hotel, like all these things, like they just add up. And um, there's not many people that are aware of every bit, but because of my work, I get to see it from a DJ's point of view. Like I put on, I've put on, I don't know, like oh, way over a hundred nights um, as well. So I've been a promoter and then I get to see it from an artist manager side too. I get offers from um, agents and yeah, I get to be a bit kind of central to all of them. So I'm never like, I'm not of that crew that is like the promoter's a bad person. Like <laughs> we're all the same. Like we're all like trying to make it this thing work. So yeah. It obviously feels like a good moment to be kind of rethinking how you reimagine these spaces and also how money is distributed because I guess, well, there's two things, right? One is that there's a correlation between like having money and maybe not talking about money, which we see kind of quite a lot. But also it's like in this world, there isn't like a centralized database where you would go to to be like, this is how much you, you know, this costs or this is how much lights cost or this is how much whatever. So how do you kind of with that in mind, how do you... I I guess really let people who were coming into this for the first time know how to talk about money and how to think about it when there isn't like one place that you can go where people say, well, this is how much I should be getting paid. Yeah, I think it's it's down to everyone to be like transparent and have that conversation in an open way. So um, for example, the opening DJ, if you're offering them 50 pounds, it's not just cold, this is why, this is 50 pounds, all right? why like and just giving people a bit of perspective like hey i really like what you do i'm offering you an open slot here this is what you can develop into you know like the next person up on this you know playing a bit later is making 200 pounds and you can go okay cool that gives me something to build to whereas when it's just sent as 50 pound you're like what are you supposed to do with that informationally and everyone's taking this seriously as a career and kind of um wants a bit of a journey in this thing as your steps into it, you're not given that that roadmap to to some sort of like life security. That's what we're looking for to some degree, unless you're already a millionaire. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a good point because I pro- like probably to kind of understand your worldview, it's it's good to get a sense of like what the kind of music scene was like when you f- were first entering it. So, you know, when you were coming up, sort of like grime was bubbling, and and can you give me a little bit of sense of like the sort of the social and political landscape of of music when you were yeah so. Um, I started DJing properly, um, taking it seriously in like 2007. Um, it was in the grime scene. There wasn't much of an infrastructure there. Um, I was playing on Rinse FM, um, uh, going to Plastic People and things like that. But um, it was like the back end of, I guess, of records, shops, digital downloads. All the music was free. There wasn't streaming yet. Um, even yeah, the idea of paying for an MP3 wasn't the thing for most people. Mobile internet wasn't what it was, social media wasn't was. So it was just in this weird pocket of time where it was difficult to monetize audience. So the things that we had to do, we had to build those things, like our own, like whatever shop front started with a big cartel and then I guess later bank camp and um, build all our own merch and all this kind of stuff. Like literally the, the year I started my label Butters in 2010, um, the two main shops for Graham record shops closed. I was like, ah, damn, <laughs> it's like bad timing. <laughs> Uptown and uh, Rhythm Division. And I was like, damn, like I have to sell them direct myself. And that was the difference of making something sustainable in the end, mm. rather than if I was trying to convince shops or other um, retailers to take what we were doing, then we, we would have been given away 50% of the money. And that in the end would have made a sustainable 
operation. So, yeah, when you when you talk about sustainability in that way, I think about um, preservation, and I think about that time. And you know, I guess you've came through at a time when it was kind of normal that things were lost. And when I say that, I'm talking about like, I don't know, like. The, the real producer between like behind like Pulse X or like Get a Coyote, you know, like people who have like made these instrumentals and they've been like lost in like the ether of a hard drive somewhere mm -hmm. or like pirate radio sessions that were like never recorded and they've just been lost. So what's the kind of relationship between coming from that world and now really recognizing that you need to like archive and preserve? It's nearly like the same. So like before things were getting lost just because of lack of information, now things are getting lost because there's too much information. So it's like a different end of the same problem. So for example, on, you know, take any online radio station, you might produce eight shows a day, seven days a week. Like when would it be possible to even listen to back, back to one show from the previous week? Because you've got to produce another eight shows. So there's just so much content and that's one station times that by every area, every ends, every genre, every DJ person, everyone's got their own stream, Instagram Live, Twitch, YouTube, so much information. So now I guess like part of my job is to, and our jobs as DJs, promoters, um, journalists, all this kind of stuff that all meshes together is to um, kind of highlight the, the, the things that are worth keeping and keep them circling longer than the algorithm lets them. So. I think about this all the time where, you know, an artist might post their song once now and then next week or two weeks later they're posting a different one. I'm like, how does how does song one stick on, you know, your socials and just kept in the environment for longer? Um so yeah, it's something that it's like <laughs> it's like a never ending challenge, us versus the algorithm. And how and how do you think is a what do you think is a good way to approach kind of, yeah, like sharing and distributing the work that you're making without kind of becoming artist as content creator? Ooh. Uh, um, I say I have a slide on one of these the Instagrams. It was like artists are not content creators mm -hmm. and um, both sides get mad. Big content creators saying that, that's, that's bad and artists are saying I'm not it was just like a big argument in my comments <laughs> and um, they're kind of sometimes they can live separately sometimes they're, they're overlapping but my point was um, you know don't forget there's a time and space to just make for making the enjoyment of creating um, and not just for result like artists are just making for making that's the foundational thing mm. whereas with, I guess if you're a content creator you don't, no one creates content and then never puts it out. It's designed to be shared. Mm -hmm. And that's what makes them fundamentally different. Um, uh, does that answer? Yeah. <laughs> no, it does. Because I guess it's, it's more about, you know, if you're an artist manager, uh, there is this idea that the advice that you might give um, an artist or a DJ or, or, who, or whoever, like you might be like, oh, you need to be on, like you need to have a TikTok account, you have to have this, even if it's completely not in line with like the brand or the person. And there's, you know, there's arguments on both sides as as we kind of move into a next stage of music promotion um, and like dwindling money for, for people who are entering. There's this yeah. idea of like, oh, well, if, if you're not going to be on TikTok, then like there's no hope for you. Yeah, I should just do what they can do most comfortably regularly. So that that platform or that that thing that serves your art and you and doesn't like stress you out too much, just do that. 
if it's Instagram, find a way to make Instagram work um, for your art and don't 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 fall just like okay stick to that thing and if it's TikTok then it's TikTok and sometimes some people are good at Twitter like Twitter was my thing for for a long time but I'd never it didn't really overlap with my creativity it was just my thoughts and ideas whereas now with Instagram I'm just uh, yeah one of the slides was like social media is a canvas it's like another format so mm -hmm. uh, the artists I work with I'm like we work in MP3 IRL rave social media web free like dsp streaming is like a different format to the individual file like so social media is just another f place to for your creativity to live and finding the best ways to make it make it pop on there you know what i'm saying yeah yeah that's that's a great approach and actually it comes back to one of the things that i like most about the kind of the project with your slides is that it is reconfiguring ideas that we've you might have already thought that you've known or like you've completed. So like one of your slides that says what is bass music, it's 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 really useful because it's like, oh yeah, just because you knew something once doesn't mean that you know it forever. Uh you know, and and like how important has that been, this idea that like, yeah, if if you understood <laughs> feminism in the seventies doesn't mean that you understand feminism now. Like, you know, these things are evolving and updating and they change. Even something like bass music, what who they're, some people might think they universally. Yeah, yeah. With, with bass music, we always have this discussion. Like, it's got so many different meanings in different places. Like, the bass music to some people is a collection of the, all the things that are non house and techno. So, it'd be like grime, drum and bass, uh, bass line, dubstep, garage. That's like all the non house and techno music from the UK. Mm -hmm. Then, bass music to someone else is bass line, bass house, bass stuff. And then bass music to some people is like all the um, strands of music that's sound system culture from like Jamaica and all this kind of stuff. Then there's bass music in the US, which is could be like Skrillex or something. There's just so many different angles. And when I say I do grime, they don't even associate that with electronic music at all. Mm -hmm. And for me, like grime, um, yeah, grime's electronic music. It is, you know, dancehall and it is rap. It's all of those things. Mm -hmm. Um, how do you think about bass music now, or how's that evolved? It's not even for me to evolve it at this point. I think like when I see people coming through and just doing new stuff and um, you know creating new audiences and building new things around it, then then it's just, that's the new definition. Like I feel like I've been part of that thing, and then when I see like say like Sherelle or something, I'm like, hey, that's bass music, 2022, like sick. And tell me something about, you know, like a lot of people have come to your work as, you know, just being really excited by uh, the way that you've documented uh, like grime music or bass music in a global context. And I'm thinking specifically about kind of Southeast Asian context. And I guess I'm interested in, in knowing kind of how when, you know, your ear is programmed to sort of global sounds, how your eye is then programmed to different DIY strategies for the club. I'm thinking about one of your slides that says something along the lines of, if you only listen to music in English, you're only scratching the surface of what you know. What is it? Something yeah, it's like if you only listen to, to in, if you only listen to music in English, you're only dabbling with music. Yes. Like, because yeah, it's this thing so broad, like different rhythms, different languages, and I think electronic music or European electronic music here's 
yeah, we're scraping the surfaces of what's possible um, and have been just because we haven't had the easy connection to everywhere else. But now, like, there's no, there's not really any excuse, like, because we've got YouTube and all these different radios and popping up everywhere. Like, we can bring it in and fold it in, invite people from all over the world. It feels like so bizarre that we have, like, these whatever international touring DJ people. Like, I've been one of them. Like, I work with some and people, but we don't bring enough here from other places and integrate them with what we do, do you know what I'm saying? Um, further than Europe, like further than like what's historically been brought here, do you know what I'm saying? And just making it work in and amongst the house and techno, in and amongst the drum bass, in and amongst the grime, because you know the grime of South Africa fits miraculously with the grime of the UK, like with the grime in the Brazil, like not the literal grime, but like, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. The sound and the, the texture and the energy, like we've, we're, UK, London, whatever, in a very privileged place in the world, and we kind of don't use that often enough. Um, and our pound, this is one thing I've remembered through working with um, Brazilian MCs over the last year, is the difference it makes to their livings um, when you're able to, to send people money in, in, in other places, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. um, and we can't forget that, we can't forget our power in, 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 in the world. And how imaginative um, exploring new spaces can be for your income. So, like, I'm Punjabi, and I was thinking about, like, the context of Garage um, in a lot of the Punjabi music community, um, and there's, like, kind of DJs like Young Singh and various other people like that who are kind of, you know, reigniting some of that history. But, you know... A lot of that music when I was well, in the sort of 90s, the beginning of the 2000s, was really thinking about garage and bhangra and, you know, how those two sounds connected. And one of the ways that a lot of money was used by the scene was, like, via weddings, right? So, like, weddings was, like, the place where you make the bulk of your money and then, like, maybe if you're lucky, you might, like be on a set and like you know at a garage rave or like a jungle rave and you might you know have like half an hour and jump off but you know it, it's like recognizing that there's space and that it's like why wouldn't like why wouldn't you do that is it because it's not cool <laughs> yeah i guess we've never included um how we socialize outside of the club as in the canon of electronic music like mm. we've just that's not something that we consider in the journalism of things like, um, yeah, like my Ghanaian friends have like hall parties or there'll be like whatever christenings and all that stuff, but we don't really count that in this industry, I guess. But there is creativity, art, excitement, happiness happening around the music. Like that's what it's like created for. Like, and even like you said about Young Sing, I heard this mix in, um, in 2020, um, we were listening to it. Uh, in the studio, I didn't know him or anything. I just messaged him and said, oh, this is sick. Like, it's educating me about the music. I just want to hear more. And then eventually we got to do um, Fabric with Daytimers last year. Mm. Um, they did the Room 2, we did the Room 1. And I had uh, uh, DJs in Room 3 playing, um, you know, music from Africa as well. So it was like this whole world of... <laughs> bass music or, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. world of different stuff that I'd never really played alongside. Um, like, when I was coming through as a DJ, it was like, nah, you, you can't sit on a lineup with techno or people won't get it. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> All right, let's just, let's just keep, me, keep me over here with the, the grind people. Or if I was lucky, I'd get to play on a lineup with dubstep DJs. <laughs> like, that's how 
diverse things all at the time. <laughs> um, but also, like, uh, I'm thinking about a conversation that we've had we had a couple of years ago when you were in when you were in Jamaica and you were laughing about one of the big news stories at the time being that uh, Jamaica were exporting mangoes for the first time to the US in 2019, and it just made me think about how we kind of assume that like these seemingly simple ideas um, are just easy already done, and we don't think about how like actually why wouldn't you like actually why wouldn't you have a, a young saying daytime as party in room one. Like these kind of things, we just assume that they happen because they should happen. And so maybe if you could give us a little bit of insight into some of the examples of that, where you've been like, I was I was surprised that this isn't happening before. Um, sometimes it's not, not happening just out of like people not being in the network. Like people would want it to happen, but then as soon as you throw out the idea, they're like, yeah, sick. Like um, this week I connected. Um, and I'm a piano DJ with like a kind of well-known um, house and techno promoter. And he was like, yeah, I want to get involved in this stuff. I just didn't even know where to start. And, you know, I want to create an environment or atmosphere, at least on my socials or in my work, that people can just ask. Like, if you don't know, just like message someone or message me or whatever, or message people that are active in the space and don't feel a way about being embarrassed about not knowing. And um, like them being included, like the, the the DJs killing it in London right now, playing I'm a piano, for them to be included in, I guess this side and this kind of corner of house and techno as well is going to be a good thing. It's a good thing for both sides, um, and hopefully, again, like I'm saying about in, you know including um, people from abroad, it's like okay, there is the the, the house from here and Europe, but then. Imagine it when you get the guys in from guys and girls in from South Africa. It's gonna be mad. Like in here, imagine um, these kind of raves in print works. It'll be sick. Um, but also like in the British context, which is like even if you are in, you know, a scene that you think like reflects you in your community, actually the British context is it can be so like overwhelmingly white that it feels like oh actually this this is like a, a simple idea of having like proper diversity which almost feels like it doesn't you know maybe in some communities it feels like it's been talked about so much for so long that it doesn't need to be on the agenda but actually sometimes it's about repetition and I was, I was thinking about one of your slides which I really liked because you know a lot, a lot of your work feels almost impatient. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <but laughs> it's like impatient in a good way. It's just like, oh my God, okay, guys, a diverse lineup is not just having one black person, you know, yeah. like, like those sorts of things. So tell me a little bit about how you think about, you know, redistributing kind of money and agency and structural mm -hmm. power in something as simple as a panel lineup. Okay. Um, I think a lot of this, the, even like a lineup thing, gets shouldered on promoters, and I don't really like it. I think the artists putting together stuff have got to show responsibility as well. If you're um, a DJ person, whatever, make a lot of money, have power, influence in putting things together, then care about what someone gets paid at the bottom of a lineup. Care that you might have to take down your fee a bit so someone else can eat good. Care that you. Uh, you know, you might be in the artist transport with them and they're getting out and playing and staying in some like random ass hotel that's 50 miles out of town and you're in the five star, like care in it, just like make that be known and 
that's for our artist community to be better, like not for someone to necessarily have to earn these fake stripes, you know what I'm saying? Like just care when people are coming in in the first place and make it a safe space to work. If uh, countless examples of this, like where, you know, yes, headliner, get thousands of pounds, like lovely, fantastic. We need that, great, fine. But if the person at the bottom can't even get to the show or is like can't even pay their, pay their bills, or that I mean like mm -hmm. can't even eat like good, then um, I think there's like some like rebalancing that we can do and just like some thought and care. Um, so like the slide that you're talking about is um, like I use an example of you know like a ten grand budget and nine grand going to the headliner and then like seven other DJs splitting the grand, and it's like it doesn't it doesn't need to be that way you know and. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think artists can move that a lot more faster forward than artist managers, all that stuff can move that faster forward than the people at the bottom of the lineup can. I think you make a good point about the responsibility to being on artists as well to kind of share this information and educate themselves, but also for artist managers to share this kind of information. And a question I always think to myself is like, are you, are you really an artist that understands the scene or even understands club culture if you don't understand like the visa process for like somebody to come and play at your show? What's your feeling about stuff like that? I guess there's two sides. Like when, if you get to that point in your career where, um, yeah, you can get say like 10 grand for a DJ set or whatever, mm you might have worked at that a decade and you feel like you deserve it and you might deserve it, but you, you, you feel like that's part of the journey, like someone else has to work as hard as you did and go through all the shit that you did when they don't, like to, they, they need just good information in front of them. Um, and there's like a thing about like, I guess like fairness and equality that, that people are getting mixed up like they think the fairness is like someone having to go through the shit to 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 get to that point mm -hmm. when it isn't it's like just having all the information out there transparently equally in the beginning that's fair access to finance is never going to be equal we know that everyone's starting from different places but the info can be there for everyone mm -hmm. and that's the bit that's unfair the information asymmetry is like what's messed up this whole thing and it's taken there's some things that have taken me a long time to to kind of understand because I've like been juggling all these different things that I don't want anyone else to have to do. Like I'm just trying to save people time. So maybe sometimes when you're seeing the the yellow squares, um, it does sound impatient. It does sound like I'm like pissed off or something. Or it's not that. So I'm just trying to save, you know, the you know young people that I speak to daily. I'm like, nah, don't bother doing that. Don't like go around the houses. Just go through, and hopefully we we get better art, hopefully we get better music. It's all in the like the actual, like this is the longest, the longest way around of making sure I get sick tunes sent to me on Thursdays to play out on the weekend. <laughs> like all of this hassle is just so I got good music <laughs> and make sure my people's good, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's a lot of effort. <laughs> like and making sure that, yeah, everyone that's coming into the space like really knows what this thing like can be, is, has been, and how it can be better. Yeah. Definitely think that in in my industry, there's kind of there's been more and more of a sense of like 
you know, there's kind of there's less music outlets, there's less less platforms, there's less places to write for, there's less places to actually like make money. And the response to that is often like, oh, I don't know, like, oh, I can't imagine what it'd be like being a young person getting into this for the first time now. Like, wow, it's hard for me. Like, it must be really hard for you. Uh, I don't know for you. And I, <laughs> like, oh, no, that's... Uh. And so I, th I think that that sort of idea of being like, yeah, there, you know, in some ways there is less, but maybe the approach is seeing, like, what there's more of. And do you have a sense of the things that there are more of? Or, you know, you, or when you are talking about the work that you do with young people, what are the what are the kind of conversations that they're having that you're like, wow, actually, that's really pushed my thinking forward? Um, like, one of the things I got a response this week was um, I was talking about, like, university-level courses giving you, like, a budget to so you could own a project yourself. So, like, one of the projects I work on is uh, with an organisation called Youth Music. And, yeah, we, young people apply for a budget to put out a project themselves so they can do like a single EP or something and like just own something from day one, like be given that responsibility like from the start and just figure things out. It, have to, it doesn't have to be some sort of perfect scenario. It's just like being given that responsibility from your first wave of things. Mm -hmm. And you just can just find out like what it takes to, to break through, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. why, like why that's hard is because Like the the door to get through is so small and so many people want to do it, but I don't think that's like the the goal is like it's it's showing people there's value in all these skills and like learning from it. Like not everyone is gonna be the headline DJ, mm. but the skills that we get from putting together these things, like there's like thousands of opportunities at work, but it's just not obvious. Mm -hmm. Like the some of the sickest producers or yeah, this I mean this may be obvious, like some of the sickest producers in the world aren't in the, the club DJing, headlining. They might be, you know, writing songs for films, writing songs for TV. Mm -hmm. Some of the best writers now that maybe started out in music journalism are writing plays and things and other, just in other spaces completely. Um, even me starting out, I guess, on pirate radio, I, I didn't think I'd be a manager. I'd even like that term or think that, I'd, that someone would want me to be their manager <laughs> in that way. But again, you see like where your work is being most valued or where you're needed. Mm. And then that's where you pick up the, the thing rather than what I actually want to do. Like I don't think a lot of this work is just like what I want, like it's just what's needed. Like otherwise nothing's gonna get, gonna get done, you know what I'm saying? If I just carried on DJing, then I wouldn't have a career. I'm thinking about, when you're talking about uh, DJing and being on um, on radio and being on places like Rinse, a lot of the conversation that was kind of happening wider from the scene was about like, okay, you know, we're in a recession and you know things are really difficult. We've got to destroy and rebuild, and you know we're going to destroy what came before and rebuild something new and better out of the ashes. And that seemed like that was a springboard to think about like DIY culture on the internet and to do the things that you want to do. It feels like to me that actually completely destroying what came before isn't always the most valuable thing. What is like, what is your sense of how that philosophy has changed for you, or has it stayed the same, or is it still valuable? Yeah, um, before it felt like we were all just talking to each other, and it felt a lot smaller. But now we're talking to each other through 
like the platforms through Facebook, through Instagram, through Twitter, and it's not in our control. Like we don't even know who's even seeing it on the other side anymore. It's like it's not even a real conversation happening. Like this is why I'm here today and just interacting with people in real life because we've all been isolated over the past couple of years. You're not even sure what's real and what's not. You're not sure if like, okay, some, some of the comments in Instagram DMs I get, I'm like, okay, but are these the people that are, I'm gonna have to engage with in real life? Like some of the <laughs> some of the DMs I get, like I'm not sure if I go outside, I'm gonna get punched in the face or like shaking a hand. I just don't know what's gonna come. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. um, so there is the, there's been this massive like you know streaming has happened. Spotify, Apple, Amazon, all the big mega cap kind of things have come into what I guess what was like underground culture. Like now we're just on the same platform as the pop music, do you know what I'm saying? Like mm -hmm. every, when every Friday when music comes out, like you're competing with like corporations to for attention. And before that wasn't our battle. Mm -hmm. um, before it was just like, oh my God, there's there's two dubstep nights on this month. Like, <laughs> oh my God, like we, <laughs> to, to kind of split the audience. Or <laughs> do you know what I mean? It, it, that was the that was the thing. But now it's like, I'm not sure if anyone's seen my post or like I've got a <laughs> post a selfie before a flyer so people can clock the eyes in the algorithm. <laughs> That's a really geeky thing to say. There's someone in here that knows exactly what I'm talking about. But um, I need a <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we'll get into that another day. Yeah, but I mean, like, it, it feels like you need a community, right? You need to, like, collaborate with people in order to push through. And you're right that, like, actually, it's good if there's, like, six Afrobeats records that's out at the same time because you can all just like support each other and actually that's the only way that you're gonna fend off this like massive wave of new music coming towards you. Yeah, super inspiring and like no one, I don't know, like just lone wolves in general, you're like, mm, it's a bit weird. Whereas the, the things that kept me going over the last two years is just, you know, seeing people like banding together and figuring things out, like when I just see like, yeah, the roller skater crew and all these people linking up and just doing happy stuff like that actually is what magnetized me to electronic music. It wasn't an individual standing in a room by themselves playing techno. Like, I, I don't know, like that's, that didn't, that wouldn't have hooked me in. It was when you get into a space and be among people and enjoy yourself, that was the thing. And finding dif different ways of doing that um, with digital is we're all still working out now. What's your sense now about some of the most important things that you can do as an artist, producer, or DJ, or what, or what we, not we should be thinking about, but like what we could be thinking about? Um, like a couple, just in the last four months, a couple legends have passed. I won't even go into like them specifically, but when I noticed when they passed, People weren't really talking about their work. They were talking about like the, the their music or their thing. They were talking about them as people, like their kindness and their their generosity, the spaces that they created for people to feel something. And I think that's what people are gonna remember about anyone that someone would describe as their favorite favorite artist, like the person that motivated them to to start DJing, the person that motivated them to start writing, oh, I saw your thing, that made me do this. It's not even just like who had the best um, kick drum or the best mix down. Like, uh, like uh, after a certain point, 
we we're gonna hit the ceiling of that. It, it it's just gonna come down to who made you feel something and um, who who educated you, who was kind to you, who brought you into this thing. Do you know what I mean like mm-hmm. that? That's gonna be like the measure of like your music or your like influence. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And um, that that interests me a lot. Even just what what was in the room just now, kink was like just wicked. Just like that. Just someone's gonna go home today and make a banger because of that. Mm-hmm. And that just that kind of stuff just <laughs> gets me gassed. <laughs> um, the thing, the, the thing that I just I love about hearing you speak is that you know there's you have so much reverence for understanding the the small the seemingly small things, but then passing on the knowledge. So like, if you are somebody who has no idea how much CDJs cost, then something you know could, could suddenly feel so inaccessible. But if you're somebody who knows, it's like okay, there's a workaround. Okay, like. Uh, how can we think about it? All right, how can we share equipment? Okay, how do we do that? Oh, you're on a lineup. Uh, this is this is like some of the visa issues that people have gone through to kind of be here. Whatever, whatever. There's a whole like litany of things that people think about. But how important have some of those very simple like sh- a sharing network been for you for you to exist and for you to even continue to exist in like a, a more responsible role as like an as somebody who's an artist and DJ, but also somebody who's like a mentor and teacher. Yeah, huge, huge, and it didn't. I didn't. I didn't realize it's because it's my only experience that it's been in music, and then it's when I've got to meet people later on when people have had really bad experiences. I'm like, oh, okay. So, like, the the urgency to carry on the generosity that was shown to me when I was coming in. Like, it sounds crazy to say, but like, in in grime, in that scene, it's it's a, it's, it's it's crazy. But there. There's this thing that they say, uh, like a, you're bringing someone through. Like, oh, you 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 brought this this person brought that person through, and there's that's this kind of open door mentality. It doesn't always work, but that people like part of their legacy. Like when the people talk about like I don't know, Skepta, they'll be like Skepta brought this person, and that producer came through that person, and that crew created that thing, and then that crew created like that is part of the actual art of that scene, mm. and it's. Um, connected to people's legacy, so like, say like you get Elijah and Skilliam, and then Royalty and Swindle and Flavor D and DJQ, and then those things branch out into next things, and next things branch out into the next thing. Like that, like responsibility to continue that in a healthy way. Um, yeah, it's like it's just it's been noticeable. Just especially look at 2020 when everyone was talking about their experiences of being uh, black in the industry, something that I understood but um, hadn't had that many negative experiences. But I was like, okay, I need to make more effort to make this space better mm-hmm. for everyone. Mm-hmm. Better for the, yeah, everyone, like everyone. Mm-hmm. And, and where are the areas that is clear to you that needs most help or most attention? Just everywhere that's like non-obvious, performing roles at the moment, mm-hmm. yeah, I can understand. But all the roles that you see today, that you've never seen a black woman do. Mm-hmm. Like, has have you ever gone to a show and see a black woman be a sound engineer? No, maybe not. 
Like, why is that? Like, it's not because they don't want to be. It's like, because that's a hostile environment, maybe. Like, there's all these questions to ask, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And all the, yeah, like I said, all the, all the non-obvious places. Mm -hmm. I liked your, <laughs> the like very measured language that you use on one of your squares when you talk about um, kind of the, the like, almost kind of like sinister, sinister misrepresentation of black people in the industry by design. Mm -hmm. And you say something like, what's the disconnect? <laughs> when really it feels like you're saying like, why are you racist? Or like, what, what, why don't you locate the racism here and, and try and fix it? And it feels like there is, yeah, like, again, there, you, there's a two-pronged attack, the way that you talk about it with, with the community that you build for yourself and how you talk about it to a community that's completely outside those conversations. Yeah, I guess like everyone's got this like vision of what like an artist manager should be and there's a certain level of professionalism or what they should and shouldn't do. But this this all these roles and stuff are all they're all blending into one. They're new. Like we don't know. Like there's and most until recently I never really spoke about the work I did behind the scenes. Mm. So I would just let things go like publicly. Whereas now like now people know that I've managed an artist for like nearly 10 years. Mm. Uh, I've got something just as valid to share as someone that's only done that. I've done that while also whatever, being a grime DJ, like with whatever, the, the famous people of TV, mm -hmm. do you know what I'm saying? So there was a period in time where, yeah, I got to be a bit of everyone and see a bit of everything, see between scenes, like when, because of the, the music that, the, the artists I'm managing, uh, they, they spread out into so many different corners of the music. I get to be part of like every scene. Like I feel like it's a real privilege to 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 work with the people that I do because I get to be like in bass line and then drum bass and in grime and in, you know, the rap, rap and like Swindle did Koji Radical's album and it was like 11 in the charts last week. I was like, ah, I get to be part of that thing. <laughs> I get to be part of like, I don't know, just, and I get to be fans of other stuff. So like, I'm just like a fan of whatever, Sherelle or Anne's or something. I'm like, yeah, I can just stand on the side like that. Like, just like how I used to. <laughs> and yeah, I feel like I'm just getting all, all sides. <laughs> um, it feels like a good place to kind of wrap things up. But, you know, I just, I just kind of want to end it as, I guess in like a, a note of gratitude for us all, for those people who are behind the scenes that kind of prop up the architecture of making things happen and like without whom a, a kind of a, a music scene or any creative scene just couldn't happen in the same way. And I'm thinking about one of the things that you've, you've said to me before about how like people don't always value the pastor or people don't always value the dancer. And maybe it'd be kind of nice if you could tell us about some of those people who you value and who inspire you but aren't necessarily thought or written or decorated in the same way yeah there's just like when when i was used to travel for shows and stuff like just the the kindness in people throughout so like say someone's offering you to come to whatever a random place, Paris, for example. So first of all, someone's gone out of their way, like they really love what you do. They want to spend money on bringing you to another country. That is like mad. That is still a mad, like don't ever overlook how mad that is. Like someone has gone through the hassle to convert their euros into pounds to send it to a dude that they've never 
even interactive. They don't even know if they're cool or nothing. Like they're just taking that risk. Mm -hmm. They want to spend the evening with you. They send someone else to collect you from uh, Gerda Nord or whatever. And that person is cool as well. You're like, oh, what well, going on? Well, you like that stuff as well. Okay, that person's kind. Then you meet the, well, might meet the promoter and their friends or whatever. Then you hang out, eat dinner. And they pay for the dinner as well, you know? Like, they brought you all the way here. <laughs> and they cover the food. And they're paying you. Like, <laughs> bear, just so much kindness. <laughs> then you, you get to wherever you're playing. And then there's people there as well. There's, like, whether you might do a sound check or something. And then... When <laughs> when the CDJ two thousands first come out, um, I'm not like an over te overly technical person, but the sound engineer was like, it's like, you know what that does? I'm like, no. <laughs> and then them showing you something, you're like, oh, okay, sick. And then again, more kindness. And then the other person setting up like at the bar. Then you want to drink? Yeah, yeah, cool. And then there's through this whole scene and industry or whatever this is, there's just bare kind people, but it just doesn't register it doesn't appear on no ranking or charts or anything like that so shouts out to everyone that is just out here putting this thing together doing the stuff and not even getting thanks <laughs> do you know what I mean you don't even get a photo at the end it's just like oh they came they played they left <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they said it was decent on their Instagram afterwards decent night out <laughs> do you know what I mean like yeah. there's I think about that all the time and just, um, yeah. And it takes all of that to make like a simple show happen. You know what I'm saying? So, um, yeah, like maybe the, even the dancers as well. Like I think about that a lot, just, um, <laughs> it's not so prevalent in the scene I come from, but in, <laughs> in, in other places where the DJ isn't, so front and center and it's like about who is on the floor like and that energy too mm -hmm. and like they don't get paid they just come to let off steam but they're the stars of that thing and it's like if that kind of respect was brought into this side too like the energy in these things would just be so different elijah thank you so much thank you for sharing with us and yeah round of applause Thank you.